0: On air, online, on digital radio and television, and on the ABC Listen app. The Tasmanian Country Hour with Fiona Breen on ABC Radio Hobart and ABC Northern Tasmania.
1: Hello and welcome to the program. Lots for you today, but we're going to start with potatoes. Just what is going on and why
2: Overall I would have said the the planting was um, on average a week to 10 days late and in some cases a lot later than that. Up to four four to six weeks later some growers would have been just because it was too wet to get their crop in. And there would have also been growers that uh, decided not to plant because it was just too wet and got too late.
1: But it's not just weather. Stay with us to find out more and the Lunar New Year sales of the bright red lobsters are up, which is good news for fishers.
3: Uh, They've been really strong, especially domestically for the larger fish. Um, We're seeing a lot of um, the Asian community getting back to normal in Australia and um, it's been quite strong leading up to Chinese New Year in Australia.
1: And lots more on the program, including Tassie's bumper grain harvest and women working in the harvest crew. I'd love you to join the conversation. Text me on 0438 922 Perhaps you've got a recipe for lobster for Lunar New Year or perhaps you go and catch them yourself for a nice treat on Sunday, which is the Lunar New Year. But first, two potatoes. You've probably heard by now that Australia's in the midst of a potato chip shortage. It's been foreshadowed for some time, but pubs and fish and chip shops say it's now really starting to bite. Some businesses have resorted to making their own chips. And Woolworths says the crunch is now affecting supermarket prices. Here's national
4: regional reporter Eliza Borello. Making chips from scratch, even with a chipping machine, is a slow process. But it's the only way Perth burger bar owner Matt Graham-Hellwig can keep them on the menu.
5: We started doing this on Friday, just the last Friday, last week. So I'm actually loading the potatoes into the machine so then they will get cut and put straight into the tub. And then we soak them for a few hours. And then we have to like half fry them and then fry them again. And then they're actually ready to go. So we have to, we have to do it this way now because we can't get any chips.
3: It's
4: taking up to 20 hours of his working week. But Matt Graham-Helwig says it would be almost impossible to open if he didn't.
5: Especially at the sports burger bar, which every meal that we sell has chips. It'd be kind of like, what else could I do? Our uh, wedges are too expensive, sweet potato chips are too expensive, and you can't have onion rings or anything like that. So it goes with everything that we sell, so we have to.
4: Harry Stevens runs a business making potato crisps in Port Melbourne, and he's been hit by the potato shortage this month too.
5: Demand for chappies at the moment is at an all time high, um, and we just don't have enough supply to meet it. It could take up to a month to sort of get back to having a supply there to supply our customers.
4: The chip crunch is thanks to a perfect storm hitting the global potato industry. Michael Coot from the industry body AusVeg says droughts in Europe and the United States have restricted supplies of imported potato products. And local chip producers have struggled because of wet conditions in key Australian chipping potato growing regions.
5: Some of those um, adverse weather events that that impacted northern Tasmania and, and particularly Ballarat region in Late 21 and early 22.
4: He's hopeful potato crops currently in the ground will eventually ease the shortage.
5: Potato crops, they don't grow and aren't harvested as quickly as some other fresh vegetables. And so it will take a couple of months before I think um, we're really seeing supply loosening up.
4: Woolworths has confirmed there's now pressure on supermarket chip prices, while Coles is continuing to restrict purchases of frozen chip bags to two per customer. Back at Matt Graham Helwig's Burger Bar, there's been an upside of sorts to the shortage. He's decided his house-made chips are cheaper and will be staying on the
5: menu. And these chips do taste better, and they're local. It's easier to get. You know you're going to get it. You're going to get the same chip every time. Not compared to what we we're getting the last five months. So we're going to stick. I think we'll just stick to this.
1: As long as you can still get the potatoes. That was Perth Burger Bar owner Matt. Graham Helwig ending Eliza Borello's report. Now, let's come to Tassie to find out what's going on. Not only are supplies a little bit low at the moment, but the way the season's going, that might carry into the future for a while yet. Meg Powell got Sisters Creek Potato Farmer and Simplot Growers Rep Lee Elfingston to explain the latest spud situation.
2: Uh, most crops are looking reasonably good at the moment. Being flat out with irrigation. Of a, of a huge battle with wind, um, especially with gun irrigation, so these sort of blue strips appearing in a lot of paddocks. But in general, I'd say most crops are, um, yeah, looking OK at the minute.
6: Which is, is good news after all that um, rain last a couple of months ago now. That raised a bit of concerns around disease. How's that looking at the moment?
2: Yep, it did. So it, it, overall, I would have said the, the planting was, Um, on average a week to 10 days late uh, on an average season this year, Um, and in some cases a lot later than that, up to four four to six weeks later some growers would have been just because it was too wet to get their crop in. Wow. And there there would have also been growers that uh, decided not to plant because it was just too wet and got too late.
6: Is that stressful,
7: four to six weeks?
2: Yeah, it is, because you miss the opportunity um, or the opportune growing season, um, and you don't get the heat units uh, on your crop when you when you need it. Um, and again, we're in a season very similar to last year with lots of easterly weather, um, lots of overcast days. So the solar radiation is well down again, and that's what we need to produce a good yield of potatoes.
6: So what does that mean for the tonnage that you're going to have at the end of the upcoming harvest? Are you Are you um, guessing there's going to be a shortage? It's
2: still probably a bit early to call. There's still, I suppose, farmers are generally forever optimists. We hope that the (laughs) season will keep improving. And there's still um, time yet for some real nice clear weather, good growing weather for the crops that are growing. Um, But, yeah, at this stage, I would say yields are probably going to be something similar to last year, which was sort of anywhere in the vicinity of 10 or 15% down on average.
6: And I suppose the thing with potatoes is you don't know what they look like until you dig them out. That's
2: right. You can scratch around in your paddock as much as you like, but until the harvest is there, you don't really know the true story.
6: So we'll have some some of the harvest will be starting from as early as this month.
2: Yeah, yep. So Simplot will be starting um, next week. The factory will be starting up again on early planted potatoes, and then it will get into full swing sort of mid-March when they uh, open up the stores.
6: This comes on the back of a couple of years of shortage. So that the shortage that we're seeing now in, in frozen chips on the shelves and at cafes and restaurants where they're having to, you know, some people are using onion rings to replace chips, that's not related to this harvest?
2: That's, it's not related to this growing season. It, it, I mean, last growing season was another tough one. Um, again, a bit of a late planting and yields were well down. So the factory was quite short on their volume. Um, and also, financially, the returns wasn't there in potato growing um, and still is struggling to be there for the high-cost um, environment that we're in at the moment. So, yeah, just volumes that are being planted is um, is down.
6: Right. And, and that return you're getting, that's even even with these price rises that Simplot have offered more money it's still looking a bit tight. Margins are tight.
2: Yeah, it is very tight, especially what we really did need was a really good growing season. Um, But yeah, with the cost that we've got with fertiliser, fuel, power, labour, all that sort of stuff that's gone up, the price rise was well needed to uh, stay in the game. But unfortunately, the uh, reward for risk is just not there for a lot of guys.
6: It's looking like there will be another shortage coming up. There's less volumes planted and we don't know how they'll turn out. How long will it take to recover from this? And it's on the back of a couple of years of, of lower volumes.
2: Yeah, that's right. And um, and, and it's, it's what's happening around the world as well. So volumes are down um, all around the world. So there's not the imports coming into Australia, I believe. Um, and the cost of importing product into Australia's gone up considerably too with uh, the shipping costs.
6: Right, so it could take a a long time before we see more packets of frozen chips on the shelves. Yeah,
2: that's right. I mean, both companies have got good volumes in the ground, so um, once the harvest gets away and the factories are up and running, hopefully um, they can start filling in some of the gaps that have been there for the last couple of months.
1: And that was Sisters Creep farmer and grower rep for Simplot Lee Elfingston talking to Meg Powell about the latest potato information. And a McCain spokesperson confirmed the difficult growing season would potentially impact their intake of potatoes. They said this remains a challenging period because there's been a simultaneous increase in demand and that they were working diligently with growers and customers to mitigate any supply impacts where possible. Simplot was also contacted for comment. Now to fresh potatoes, and they are back on the shelves in Tasmania, but not quite at the same levels as normal. The Daily Potato Farm is confident, however, it will now have continuous supplies of fresh potatoes for their Tasmanian market. Some potatoes from the north of the state have helped secure the harvest. Here's Ruby Daly
7: to explain
1: how. Ruby Daly, are you, are you harvesting at the moment?
7: We are. We're certainly harvesting. We're actually irrigating as well, which is funny.
1: <laughs> Isn't that funny after so much rain before Christmas?
7: Yeah, look, we're grateful. We We're actually clapping into the irrigation season because it's so much easier to control the water.
1: And you've got uh, potato fields sort of across the southeast of Tasmania and up the east coast a bit?
7: We do. Yep, all the way right up to Tribunna. And one as well, sorry.
1: And you've had continuous harvesting since about uh, the end of December, was it?
7: Yeah, it was about the second week of December we started harvesting. Um, we are in a little gap at the moment where we knew we'd come into um, and we had a contract grower. Um, ready to buy potatoes from from the northwest coast so we're in that stage at the moment but we're due to hit back to our own crop in a couple of weeks.
1: So what did you mean a gap? Can you explain uh, how that worked?
7: Yeah so due to that wet period um, in the middle of the year we obviously were unable to get onto paddock to plant so that pushed our you know because we grow 52 weeks of the year um, it meant that we were going to have a gap in um, cropping. So we're, we're in that now and uh, we were able to secure some tonnage to buy from another grower.
1: So what sort of potatoes are, are we talking about, Ruby Daily?
7: Uh, so we, we call them whitewash because essentially we use a couple of different varieties to um, for one purpose. They're an all-rounder. So, you know, we use a Nicola, Uh, We use daisies um, or strata. There's a couple of new varieties being introduced into Tasmania, which are amazing potatoes. But the fact that we've gone to a a whitewash means that we have that uh, security of having continuous supply all year round. We don't actually have to rely on one sole potato to put into a bag. So that's what we're doing from now on.
1: Okay. And is that a new strategy?
7: It is, absolutely. Ever since the wet weather, um, we've just had that, You know, we haven't had to worry on one variety. So we've got that security that we can use a couple of different varieties that are exactly the same. I don't think anyone would pick them apart, but uh, just different growing um, patterns.
1: Okay. And so you're doing fresh potatoes, aren't you?
7: Yes, supermarkets. And how
1: are you going with supply? Because there was a little while in December where shelves were a bit empty.
7: Yeah, eight weeks we were all without potatoes, which is, is incredible. We're we're back on um, shelf and we hope that it'll stay that way. I mean, there's still not full supply back. We're still capping numbers that we're sending out to customers, but um, I think we'll be in that for the next six months.
1: Okay, and people are also talking about frozen chips and lack of frozen chips, but that's not your
7: business, is it? No, no, we don't do those. All right, and uh,
1: in terms of going forward, you'll pick up your own uh, harvesting in a, in a couple of weeks' time? We will. Yep, we'll be back on to our own potatoes. Do you have any idea of sort of numbers this year? I'm assuming overall it'll it'll be down?
7: Uh, no, we'll be back to our normal um, supply. It'll just be later uh, that we will uh, sort of hit that full supply, so about 7,000 tonnes. We'll try and aim for this year, and that's just for the Tasmanian market only
1: okay, and just as an aside, how's the potato vodka going?
7: <laughs> really good we're so grateful we had the distillery this year. It just shows to diversify into a value add product meant that it kept us kept us alive. We were very grateful for the distillery because you know without that i'm not sure what we would have done without an income for eight weeks so We're all very grateful for the distillery.
1: Were you able to keep all your staff on during those eight weeks where nothing was going through the factory?
7: Yeah, we were. I mean, that's a massive decision we had to make, but our staff are really important to us, so we kept them on. Some took holidays, well-deserved holidays, and, um, yeah, look, we've got them all back here and they're all happy working.
1: Fantastic. Uh, Ruby Daly, thanks so much for joining the Country Hour.
7: Thanks for having me. So there you have
1: it, an update on fresh potatoes and what's going on with the markets and in the supermarkets and an update on the frozen spuds. That was Ruby Daly from the Daily Potato Growing Family giving us an update on harvests and supplies.
0: Catch the Landline Summer Series, hosted by award-winning journalist Pip Courtney. Landline is Australia's only national agricultural television show delivering stories from Australia's rural and regional heartland. Ahead of Landline's return for 2023... ABC is ..find the Landline Summer Series on ABC iview. From off-the-grid farming to crayfish, get a taste of Australia with Landline Summer, 12.30pm Sunday on ABC TV and iview. It's the Country Hour with Fiona Breen on ABC Radio Hobart and ABC Northern Tasmania.
1: Now, the main sale at International Dairy Week in Victoria took place last night with an Illawarra and a black and white Holstein sharing the honours for the top-selling heifer, both reaching $21,000. Natalie Shearlaw from Jamberoo on the New South Wales south coast set a record for an unjoined Illawarra when her one-year-old heifer reached top dollar. And this was matched by a a two-and-a-half-year-old Holstein from southwest Victorian breeder Richard Hull. Jeff and Christine Peating snapped up the top price Holstein. Emma Field spoke to them after the sale.
8: Tell you what I'll do for you. I'll take your little one thousand. But you're bidding on a mighty heifer. I got twenty thousand dollars done. I've been over here with Shane. I got twenty thousand to bid, in the world in once. I got twenty thousand twice. But you're gonna miss that, and you'll be grumpy all the way home. Fifty thousand dollars on a part of one more
9: time. How many heifers and heifers did you snap up tonight? Five. That's a you bought your wallets tonight. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> yeah. So why why the buying spree? Oh, just to keep an interest um, and get a bit better breeding in our lines, that's all. Mm -hmm. You bought the top um, lot today, which was a Holstein. Is that what you normally breed? All
2: Holsteins, yeah. Yeah.
9: About 360 of them. How important now is genetics to your business these days?
2: Oh, it's very important, yeah.
9: You don't make just money from your milk. If you've got the breeding, it does help your bottom line with your business. Speaking of milk and milk prices, they are quite well good at the moment. Um, (laughs) Is that a reflection of how good things are, or does it not reflect where the bottom line's at? I think it's uh, reflecting a bit that um, it it is a good year, um,
1: but we don't always expect it, but... Yeah, we spend when
10: we've got money, <laughs> like
9: everyone else. <laughs> I'm sure you've been to a fair few of these sales. How strong do you think um, it was tonight, and what sort of value do you reckon you'll get out of those well, five? We get
2: a lot of value out of those cows, but the sale was very good, and very strong. And we went to one down Gippsland three months ago, four months ago, and it was a very Avonlea one. It was a very strong sale as well.
11: Um, I'm Abby Hanks from Cobden. And, Abby, what were you doing in the ring tonight? I was parading the animals for the ST sale. And you were also
9: selling one of your own heifers, is that right? Yeah, the red and white Holstein was mine. How did it go?
11: Yeah, good. It was a bit emotional, but I think it went really well. I'm very proud of how much she made, and it was good to lead her myself. And she
9: made $21,000, is that right? Yeah. So how old are you? I'm 17. You're 17 and you just sold a $17,000 heifer. How did that all happen? I don't really know. <laughs> um, yeah, well, Tell us the story. We brought her about, not
11: probably 18 months ago um, from Alma at their sale. Um, and I just always wanted to rent a Holstein, so mum thought it was a good opportunity when she was a baby to get her. Um, we grew up and took her to a few local shows and she was pretty successful and... Brought her here last year to Dairy Week and then the last twelve months she's had an outstanding year of like multiple awards. And then yeah, this year to come out and then win junior champion and then to sell her was good and bad I guess. Bad because you're gonna miss her? Yeah.
9: Yeah. And what will you do with that um, money? Were you invested in more cattle or maybe something else?
11: Yeah, I'll probably be invested into our farm to buy a new show cattle
9: or whatever we want to use it for?
8: Brian Leslie, auctioneer with Dairy Livestock Services.
9: Brian, we had 39 lots of cattle go through tonight. How did it go?
8: Yeah, very, very good. We actually had 40 because we sold a pick of the pair and we sold both of them. So it went very well. I mean, we had every breed and uh, we had bidding coming from all over Australia. So I was really thrilled with that. I did think we had a great offering of cattle, but we had a wonderful sale and you know, tremendous average, a top price of 21000 which was twice. So
9: there were two lots that did that, yeah, and, and they no, were both Holsteins?
8: No, they weren't. There was one Holstein and one was an Illawarra, and uh, that's a record price for an unjoined Illawarra heifer, $21,000. Um, so the 40 lots averaged 9815 and uh, tremendous result right away through the sale.
9: So on the Illawarra, uh, where's that at in terms of the other breeds?
8: Well I think you know the Illawarra have been a wonderful breed Australian developed and, and that was an outstanding heifer. Um, she was reserve champion in the show and her mother was, a res- grandam I beg your pardon was reserve champion cow too, it was a great cow family but I think she was one of the best Illawarra heifers I've ever sold for that age. And-
9: You've been around this game a long time. We've got record dairy prices right now. What is the confidence like in the industry? Is there concern about the costs and things like that?
8: Of course there is. Um, Of course there is. The costs are getting higher all the time and it's hard to get labour. Yeah, the milk price is higher than it's been, but it needs to be to keep pace with the costs.
1: And that was Brian Leslie, who is the founder and sales agent at the Create the Future sale, speaking there to Emma Field. Now, we're only days away from celebrating the Lunar New Year and lobster sales from Tasmania are strong. I chatted to lobster processor and exporter Michael Blake about sales a short time ago.
3: Uh, they've been really strong, especially domestically for the larger fish. Um, we're seeing a lot of um, the Asian community getting back to normal in Australia and um, it, it's been quite strong leading up to Chinese New Year in Australia.
1: So do you think people are celebrating with the lobster?
3: Def- definitely they are. Uh, things are. Things are definitely seeming like they're back to normal in Australia.
1: And are they paying reasonable prices?
3: It, it's it's kind of back to pre-China.
1: Okay, what do you mean by that?
3: Um, well, well, well pre-COVID, I suppose I should be saying. So it's the, the the um the prices in Australia are back to pre-COVID level uh, in Australia.
1: So what's that? What's the beach price then? What are the uh, fishers getting? Well,
3: the fishers have been getting sort of for the larger fish, from anywhere from fifty dollars. Uh, up to the mid-70s, um, which, you know, that's a marked improvement from 18 months ago. Those sizes would have been down around probably 30 to $40 a kilo.
1: And there's still plenty around leading up to Chinese New Year?
3: Yeah, the fishing's been really good. I think uh, the, the fishermen have been enjoying really great catches around the whole state. Uh, I'm hearing even that the amateurs are, are, are doing really well as well. So the, the stock's in a really great position.
1: And whereabouts are you sending lobsters?
3: Uh, all over the world, uh, to be honest. Um, just about every continent that uh, will buy them, we're selling them. Um, but most of those markets are the small sizes uh, and don't, uh, don't we're not achieving the same prices for those as we are for the large fish domestically.
1: Interesting. That's a little bit of a uh, change compared to a few years ago.
3: Yeah, it's a, it's a massive change. Uh, we spend, uh, the industry spent a lot of time in diversification of its market. Um, and, uh, yeah, slowly but surely we are getting there, but the price point is still not back to where it was before COVID.
1: I know pre-COVID, I think some fish were selling for about $100. Uh, was it $100 a fish or some enormous price? Do you recall those days?
3: Uh, Yes, yes, I do recall those days and I think the fishermen are hoping it gets back there soon. Um, But we we are working on it. We are sometimes touching on uh, those sorts of levels, but only at real high peak periods. Um, But in in general, uh, overall, we are building uh, these new markets up and in time we think we can get back to where we were.
1: So markets across Southeast Asia and, and not just focusing on China anymore?
3: Yeah, Southeast Asia, the South Pacific, uh, the US, um, Middle East, even. Um, so we are definitely spreading ourselves around a lot more than we had in the past.
1: All right, Michael Blake, thanks very much for joining the country. Out.
3: No worries. Thanks, Fiona.
1: Time now for the news headlines with Michael Dalla Fontana.
12: Good afternoon, Fiona. There was a fall in unemployment. There was a fall in, in employment last month, with the unemployment rate remaining at three and a half percent. It comes after November's jobless rate was revised higher. The Bureau of Statistics says nearly 15,000 jobs were lost last month. Police are calling for a motorcyclist to come forward as they investigate the death of a woman in southern Tasmania. Police found the body of a 40-year-old woman inside a unit on Walker Street at Surrell east of Hobart yesterday afternoon. They want to speak to the rider of a motorcycle seen in the area between Friday the 13th of January and yesterday and are urging anyone with information to come forward. The UN Secretary-General, Antonio Guterres, has called for meaningful engagement between China and the US during an address at the World Economic Forum in Davos. Mr Guterres has warned that even amid disagreements over issues like trade and human rights, communication between the US and China is essential to preventing a future confrontation. And in the AFLW... Two time premiership player Mariana Raichich has announced her retirement after fifty games with the Adelaide Crows. The thirty-three year old made her debut in twenty eighteen and went on to play in the club's twenty nineteen and twenty twenty two premierships. A full bulletin of ABC News at one o'clock.
1: Thank you, Michael. Now let's cross to the Bureau and Matthew Thomas. Good afternoon. Hi Fiona. Now what's has there been much precipitation?
10: Look, um, yesterday with the um, the southwesterly stream, we saw some showers about the um, the west and the the far south. Um, you know, the usual suspects in the west picked up a, a fair amount. About the the far south, there was probably um, you know generally around um, one to to five millimeters about the um, the parts of the Huon and the Channel. Um, but the most significant precipitation was up about the the northeast, where we did see some showers develop um, about the upper east coast. Um, um, yesterday afternoon, generally around 2 to 10 millimetres um, along the upper east coast and um, adjacent highlands. But the, um, the standout um, figures there were um, 11 millimetres at Pine Garner, um, 15 millimetres at Gray and 20 millimetres at um, Fingal.
1: Uh, what about the outlook?
10: Um, so we've still got that, um, that southwesterly stream today and that's easing back. So we'll just have for the remainder of today some light showers about the west and the far south. And since 9am, we've just seen um, that with um, with a few light falls um, into the the southwest, but nothing um, significant in the rain gauge there. Um, and it should be fine elsewhere. But with that southwesterly stream, we're just going to maintain um, below average temperatures across the the state for the the next couple of of days. Um, now. The high-pressure system to the um, building over the Bight will extend a ridge across um, Tasmania tomorrow. Um, So a day that will be dominated by... by, sea breezes and and fairly light winds and um and that will just create some convergent showers um, about inland parts of the the north the east and the south mainly about elevated ground Um, but once again we won't see terribly much in the the rain gauge Um, probably um, just a a couple of millimeters out of those showers into um into Saturday, we'll see a trough just extend down from Victoria um, over Tasmania. And that ridge will, um, will move more to the south of, um, of Tasmania um, with high centres to both the east and the, the west of the state so we will maintain the, the light winds we will see some isolated showers um, about inland districts during the afternoon and evening um, and they will tend to drizzle about the um, the southeast and the east coast um, during the the late evening um, so we'll see the, the rainfall amounts just pick up a little on um, on Saturday but um, but still around the, the the two to five millimeter uh, mark and and mainly about the the upper Doon valley the southeast and the east coast and, and the Midlands um, into Sunday, a fairly similar day um, with the inland showers during the afternoon and evening, tending to, um, to drizzle about the southeast and east during the, the late evening. And on Monday, the stream tends a bit more northeasterly and, um, and we do begin to warm up a little bit. So the temperature's rising to above um, average with some showers and thunderstorms during the afternoon and evening, most likely about inland areas. Um, and we'll see out of those um, showers and storms just the chance of some slightly higher falls. Any warnings? So we have no warnings for today or tomorrow. Great. What about coastal waters and swell? So in terms of the coastal waters and swells, we'll have um, the south-to-south south, um, westerly winds of, of 10 to 20 knots about the west, um, grading to um, 15 to, to 25 knots about the east. Um, the winds about the central north um, will tend variable 10 to 15 knots um, during the afternoon. There'll be some inshore um, sea breezes um, about the north during the afternoon. Um, Into tomorrow, we'll maintain those south-to-southwesterly winds of 10 to 15 knots, although 15 to 25 knots initially about the the south-west during the early morning and the wind's tending variable 10 to 15 knots once again about the the central north um, and inshore afternoon sea breezes there. Um, And so in terms of the swells around the west and the south, um, a a southwesterly swell of um, three and a half metres decaying to near three metres by this evening. and then continuing to decay to two to three metres um, tomorrow. About the north, a westerly below one metre. About the east, there's a um, south to southwesterly one to one and a half metres, but reaching up to two and a half metres offshore in the south. The wave rider boy at Cape Sorrel shows a significant wave of 3.8 metres, a maximum wave of 5.2 metres, a 10-second period, and the wave rider boy at um, Um, Mariah Island shows a significant wave of 1.5 metres, a maximum wave of 2.3 metres and a seven-second period.
1: Matthew Thomas, thanks very much.
10: Have a great afternoon.
1: Whatever you're up to in the evening, chopping veggies for dinner, driving home from the gym, taking a few calming breaths because your children have stopped being feral and finally gone to sleep. Whatever your evening holds, I'd love to spend it with you. I'm Helen Shield. This year I'm on evenings. So I'll be with you on the radio, online, on the ABC Listen app or Channel 25 on your TV, 7 till 10pm Monday to Thursday on ABC Radio Hobart.
0: Coast to Coast, this is the Country Hour. You're with Fiona Breen on ABC Radio Hobart and ABC Northern Tasmania.
1: Now it's been a hectic start to grain harvest for receival sites in the north of the state. In fact, at XLD at Piranha, trucks have delivered well over 13,000 tonnes, filling up silos, pushing canola across to Melbourne to be stored there. Managing Director Paul Willow says it's been a real balancing act.
5: Even though we were three weeks behind schedule with the hot weather certainly brought on the crops and it's been... It's actually been an exciting week for us. Uh, The pace of the harvest has been very, very fast.
13: All commodities are coming in. Usually it's canola, barley, wheat. It's kind of staggered, but they're all coming in at once.
5: It's certainly been keeping the site very, very busy. Where's it coming from? Uh, Look, at the moment it's sort of been spread all over, really. It's been Fingor Valley, out towards Cressy Hagley. We're now starting to harvest up around Delrayne and even some harvests up further north, uh, up around Devonport. So... You know, normally we'd have a really staggered type harvesting pattern, but um, this year it seems to have all converged uh, around about the same time. What's the quality looking like? Quality so far is, to be honest, has been outstanding, particularly on the, on, the, on the cereal side of things. Um, the most impressive thing so far has been the test weights, and I, I go so far as to say the quality so far of the local grain is, is beating the mainland grain. Of course, the, the mainland has been suffering from a really, really wet and delayed harvest. So test weights have been a bit of a problem over there. But so far down here, we've had no problems at all. And uh, a credit to the farmers too. I think their, their techniques for growing the grain uh, and their practices are, are really improving and we are seeing the results of that.
13: Will that affect prices in any way, Pro- producing more of a premium product than uh, the previous year?
5: Yeah, look, I think, you know, in years gone past, Tasmanian Grain is normally traded at a discount to mainland. I'm pretty confident to say this year that won't be the case. You know, going forward, one of the challenges we'll have is to try and charge a bit of a premium uh, over the mainland. But I think at this this stage, all we can say is it's not going to be at a discount um, and we'll we'll need to work on getting consistent quality Uh, going forward to to try and get that premium.
13: In canola, what's uh, oil quality been like there?
5: Again, um, fantastic. And again, real credit to to the growers and to the agronomists. We've been averaging, uh, the site average is uh, 47%, which is extremely acceptable. I mean, that's really good quality stuff. We've had some loads uh, that are coming in over 50%. So, uh, again, incredible. The crop probably did suffer in some areas from being a little bit too wet, um, and we probably saw a little bit of a yield penalty there. Look overall again it's another really really solid year for canola so we're starting to put a few couple of good years in a row on now with canola so it's it's really good.
13: We're standing at your receivable site at Piranha surrounded by silos that are filling up fast and have filled up. The truck that's being unloaded at the moment in front of us unloading canola that's heading to the mainland why is that?
5: Oh, look Larissa again sort of, we 're probably get, becoming a victim of our own success here in that because we 've had such a big production year that we 're literally running out of space you know, and as you can see with the silos around us they 're all full, and um, the truck that 's loading at the moment is we 're shipping canola across to the mainland um, simply to make more more space here at the site to store it to store it exactly right, so you would sit here and think with the state that's um, deficit in in grains and oil seeds we shouldn't be sending it across the water but the reality is we've run out of storage space here and we'll need to take it across the water and bring it back later in the year.
13: You have been trying to get through a proposal to expand this site build more silos but that's that's stalled at the moment are you hoping to get some level of progress there this year?
5: Yeah that's exactly right I mean the growth in the grain industry down here um, we can clearly demonstrate now that we really do need a new storage site with more capacity. You know, we put an application in to to build a, a new silo and storage facility six kilometres down the road here. unfortunately that that application was was rejected by council. We're in the process of um, working through an appeal on that. We are really looking for some support from the grain growing industry down here because you know if we don't get some support, then we're probably going to have to look at locating the storage facility somewhere else. That's going to cost more money? Totally. You know, if we have to move outside the Northern Midlands Council, which looks possible and probably likely, uh, then that's going to have a, a pretty serious impact on, on farmers' income, mainly because the consumption for grains and oil seeds is located in this Piranha drawing arc, and the economics are pretty simple. If you have to drag the grain further north to store it and then drag it back down again to the consumption later on, It's going to cost farmers. I estimate it's probably going to cost farmers uh, in terms of their return somewhere between 30 and 40 dollars a tonne to to drag it you know somewhere up around Westbury, Delrayne and then to bring it all the way back down again to to the consumption. Unless we we build a new site we're not going to be able to grow the industry down here and that has ramifications not only for for grain and oilseed growers but also for consumers. Uh, The aqua industry, the feedlot, the chicken industry that all have traditionally relied on mainland grain and and given all the issues that have been happening around the world with freight and logistics and carbon tracing and so forth, we really do need to to try and make up that deficit by growing grain locally. The next stage of the the development of the industry down here is to have a state grain centre uh, that is able to, to handle not only today's current production but the production that we see growing into the future
1: and that was Paul Willows from XLD Commodities. Now, XLD have put on 25 casual harvest staff at Piranha to handle the large crop coming in. For many, it's a chance to broaden their experience in the industry while studying agriculture at university.
14: So right now I'm testing the... Moisture and the oil for our canola. Um, I'll also be doing the test weight and screening to so make sure it meets spec. That's saying oil is at forty-eight percent. That's that's pretty good. Yep, yep. No, very good. And our moisture's at five point five, which is brilliant. Hi, I'm Bridie. Goodluck and I've been at XLD Commodities for just over a year now. I, like, really enjoy it. It's all the opportunities that they've given me being here for the entire year, so... And you do
13: a bit of everything. Yes,
14: yeah, no, I do a lot of the grain testing and dealing with truck drivers, also unloading, loading and dealing with all the machinery. This is my first job being in agriculture, so, yeah, I've just come from a small town where I've done, like, I'm horse rider, so I've got very minimal acreage. But you, you like the outdoors. I love the outdoors. Couldn't think of anything better than being outside. I'll let you get on with it. Thank you. Morning
15: Steve. There you go. I'm good. Load of canola. Sure. Thank no worries. So we've just got a load from the Lions and we're just going to enter in all the details so where it's from, what commodity it is, make sure we get the weight down, and then is going to take a sample of the truck and then we'll test it and make sure it meets all the requirements and then we'll send the truck off. Hi, I'm Ingrid and I'm from Longford and I've worked at XLD sort of on and off for the last three years while I've been at uni, finishing school, so so come back for the summer. Good summer job? Yeah, it's a really good summer job. It's quite flexible and, yeah, you can just come and go and, yeah, it's good. And do you come off a farm too? Yes, I do. So I've been taking some of our grain in here, actually, so <laughs> everyone's keeping an eye on me when I'm testing it and make sure I don't do anything dodgy. And how is your grain going? Yeah, it's been going really well, so pretty happy with it.
13: So what's a typical day for you? How does the morning start? What time?
15: (laughs) This morning, well, we got here at six, so yeah, five o'clock wake up. There's usually sort of runs two shifts, so I'll be here till two o'clock today, and then afternoon crew will come in. Yeah, just testing trucks, making sure everything's going smoothly. We had an induction week, which was really good because just got everyone back up to speed with what they're doing and there's a few new people coming on who hadn't worked on a site or weren't necessarily from a farming background or anything. So we had um, safety talks, we had drug and alcohol talks, we had working with heights, tickets and confined space permits and also the grain testing course and just yeah generally sort of making sure everyone's going to be all right when they start because it's sort of you don't get much of a lead-in. Sometimes it's like bang, especially this year. Just all of a sudden you're thrown into it. So, yeah, that was a really good start.
13: Theo, Ives, you're working another summer job here at XLD. Um, have you been flat out?
16: It's been pretty crazy. Yeah, I, I guess because of the, the late rain and stuff. All three commodities are sort of coming in at once which makes it difficult but also very interesting because the more we have going on the more there is to do and the more we learn and um, so forth so yeah uh, it's been it's been really good.
13: What's your chief responsibility here?
16: I guess my description is shift leader so probably just try and keep things a bit calmer on site along with the other shift leaders. Um, I also run the dryer so dry grain uh, when it comes in as high moisture and that improves the price obviously which is pretty handy and helpful
13: yeah you've managed to coordinate this job uh with your uni degree and you're doing uh, ag science
16: yeah yeah studying ag science yeah got two years to go so i'll polish that one off um yeah like i said this job just fits in really well with that so you know you meet so many so many great people and and a lot of people in the business have such great contacts, especially in the ag community in Tassie. So, you know, sort of that uh, theory practice throughout the year really helps and we're able to apply a lot of the knowledge and understanding that we gain from during the year and apply it to the job, which is great. And it's really nice to have a good, a good practical spread um, as opposed to the theory that we study throughout the year. Yeah. <laughs>
14: So, my name is Alita Ives, and I am a first year as a harvest casual at XLD. And um, yeah, just looking to sort of involve myself a little bit more in in the ag industry. Yeah, especially you know, with family and things being involved for a long time, and I haven't really had my chance yet. So, I think
13: I just spoke to your brother.
14: Yes, yes, you did. (laughs) You sure did. Yep, so he's been here for about three years now. So, this is my first year.
13: Is he your boss?
14: Pretty much, which is terrifying, but that's okay.
13: (laughs) So what are your general responsibilities?
14: Basically, yeah, just sort of standard unloading trucks, loading trucks. Um, I do really like it in the testing stand, that's for sure. There's nice air con up there on hot days. But yeah, no, it's definitely a little bit more stressful, but yeah, that's my kind of thing, which is nice. What are you doing
13: outside of uh, this summer job?
14: Um, So I've got uni this year, so I'm doing um, early childhood education. So hopefully, yeah, this will be a bit of inspiration for what I can teach the little ones very soon.
1: And that was Alita Ives. She's working there at XLD at Piranha as part of the casual staff while while studying at university.
0: Catch the Landline Summer Series, hosted by award-winning journalist Pip Courtney. Landline is Australia's only national agricultural television show delivering stories from Australia's rural and regional heartland. Ahead of landline's return for 2023, ABC in find the Landline Summer series on ABC iView. From off the grid farming to crayfish, get a taste of Australia with Landline Summer. 12:30 PM Sunday on ABC TV and iView. Keeping you updated every day. The Tasmanian Country Hour with Fiona Breen.
1: Australia's largest grower of Kensington Pride mangoes says harvest has been delayed because of severe rainfall in North Queensland. Manbulu Limited has seven mango farms across Australia with two in the Northern Territory. which represent 50% of production, and five in Queensland in the Townsville region and the Atherton Tablelands. Kensington Pride and R2E2 are the main varieties the company grow, but they also harvest late varieties to fill the market gaps. Mari Baconi, Managing Director of Manbulu Limited, says the current rainfall hasn't devastated the crop, but it will have a financial impact.
17: Well, we've actually had to take, in terms of this, just this last bout of rainfall, we're in the middle of harvesting palmers and we're about to harvest keat in the next couple of weeks. So we've, um, we've just had to delay some of the harvest, but at, at this point it hasn't, uh, it hasn't ruined the crop. We've maybe lost a couple of percent of the crop and um, perhaps our pack out of premium is slightly down um, compared to usual numbers. But the rainfall before Christmas and during December did have a, an impact on our R2E2 and Kensington Pride crop um, because it caused a lot more lenticel spotting, which is not favoured by, um, by our customers. So at this point, we're managing the rain. We're hoping to still get our crop off and maintain our quality. But a lot's gone into that over the last you know, six to nine months to make sure that we can we can cope with this. You know, we've made sure that the nutrient content in the fruit should be okay for these sort of extreme conditions. Our um, disease management programs in place, our weed management programs in place, all those things. So it's not just about the past four days, it's about so many other things that have been happening.
18: This time of year when, you know, the wet starts to kick off, a mango grower is just prepared for rain and they've just got to understand that this is part and parcel of operating in north and far north Queensland?
17: Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, some, some years, we would probably call them the, the easy, lucky years. We don't have, we don't have uh, very much rainfall during the, the harvest until the end in mid-March. But most years, we'd have to expect that we've got to cope with this and, um, and I, think, I think it's a normal part of mango production in North Queensland. And it means that um, occasionally we don't get the whole crop off and it means that the pack out's lower. Um, but we, we have to have strategies and management procedures in place to cope with it.
18: Some people in far North Queensland are saying that this is devastating and it's ended their season. Um, I'm hearing a lot more optimism in your voice. So why do you think that is?
17: Well, I, I think that, you know, the things that could be devastating and end of season is if it, the rainfall is so constant that there's no opportunity to go out and harvest when it's not raining um, or there's, um, you know, disease present in the fruit as it goes through the supply chain. So we're trying to manage both of those issues um, and work with our customers. We work really closely with our customers about specifications and um timing of our harvest and everything to just make sure we can get through it and get through it together because remember they they want our fruit as much as we want to as we, we want to harvest it so uh, um I think we've done a fair bit of a fair bit of planning and and a bit of budgeting to accept that sometimes you don't get the whole crop and sometimes um nature is a bit cruel
18: so it sounds like preparation is key when you kind of Get into the new year and it, and the mangoes are still on the trees.
17: Absolutely. Look right from you know the Catherine harvest. We've got to expect that if we get rain, we've got to, if we get rain or adverse conditions, we've got to have we've got to have options and um, mechanisms to deal with that, so that we can just go on and get the best out of this sort of the the the, the situation.
18: And do you think with that rain that you had late last year and that bit of rain now, do you think there'll be any financial impact?
17: Absolutely, yeah. We've had financial impact because we've downgraded some of the fruit that was probably that was definitely looking premium on the trees, and then once we had too much rainfall, um, we had uh, defects and blemishes on it that meant that it had to be downgraded and sent off either for pre-packing or for um, value add. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, and But that has to be, that, from our perspective in our business, we take that into account that um, not every day or every month or every year can be, you know, lucky and easy and perfect.
1: And that was Mari Picconi speaking there to our reporter Lucy Cooper. And we've had a text come in uh Hello there. Good show as normal. But where is Tony? I miss him. That's from Sean at Dover. Well, Tony's been having a lovely break, I'm sure, and he will be back again on Monday. So make sure you join the Country Hour on Monday. Now, some of the best young meat judges in Australia are competing in the United States. The five from Queensland, New South Wales and Western Australia placed second as a team in the National Western Intercollegiate Meat Judging Competition. Coach Mel Smith says the tour also teaches the students about the entire supply chain.
19: We're part of an ICMJ national tour, so we've got five students from across Australia competing in the American meat judging competition circuit which has just kicked off in the States and also having a supply chain tour to gain insights into everything from um, seed stock production all the way through to consumption insights for the Americans and being one of our largest exporters but also competitors it's a really great insight for the students to get an appreciation of the red meat supply chain over in the North American industry. So how did you choose the team that you were going to take over? So the five students that are part of this team were selected at the ICMJ Wagga contest um, held in the middle of the year down at uh, Wagga Wagga in New South Wales. So that competition's held from there, 15 of the top students are selected and undergo an interview process plus an industry um, professional development tour by which we then select our five students to participate in the US competition. How have they gone in the competition so far? Oh, this year's students have absolutely blown us away. They've been incredible with their dedication to understanding the US grading system, which is quite different to our Australian Meet Standards Australia or MSA system that we use back home. And, And within 10 days, they were able to not only understand the US grade their meat products. But, um, you know, it's a true credit to them because when it came to the competition, they just absolutely performed out of sight and did incredibly well. And um, we were very successful at our recent contest that we had at the National Western Stock Show in Denver, Colorado. We came a very close second out of over 20 universities that do this on an annual basis in, in the state. So they performed incredibly well we're very close second in beef judging, and we took out lamb judging, which is great because, like the recent MLA Australian ad has, campaign has gone, it would be un Australian if we didn't. So, <laughs> um, very, very proud about how the whole team went. And yeah, it's an absolute credit to them to be able to master a whole new globally recognised um, grading scheme in a very short period of time.
6: Why is it so important to bring these students over?
19: It's just an incredible opportunity to further their skills, develop more knowledge and and insights into different systems that can, you know, really benefit how we do things back home. There might be opportunities for them to learn complementary systems that they can integrate back home, but also just, you know, b- become immersed in the industry and gain more insights. It's um, an incredible opportunity for them to spend some time over here and They have quite a different production system to what we do, but also have some really complementary aspects as well. So it's an an incredible learning experience for each and every one of them.
1: And that was Australian Intercollegiate Meat Judging Association's Mel Smith. And that just about brings us to the end of the Country Hour. Tomorrow on the program, we have a fabulous story about the potential or not or some new age pollinators. You know that the honeybee is known as an amazing pollinator, but they need some backup. So Tasmanian seed companies have been looking at whether flies can do the same job in horticultural crops. Larissa Smith is looking into a project where hoverflies are being tested. That story's online now. And uh, have a look on our ABC Rural um, Facebook page and our ABC Rural online page. And you can hear it on the radio tomorrow, on our rural reports in the morning and on our country hour at lunchtime. I'll catch you again tomorrow.
10: My name is Bhumik. Why do I like summer in Tasmania? The additional daylight makes me more, feel more active to do more things and engage out more.
14: ABC Radio Hobart.